Hey, guys. Huh. Check this out. Welcome to Check This Out, a podcast where we take an analytical view of the media that appeals to us as individuals and why. I am Al, your host, and with me today is special guest and not only enemy of the show, but arch nemesis of the show, Jeremy. I am honored. I am arch nemesis of the show. Awesome. You're the first returning guest, so that automatically puts you as rank one. Fair enough. Uh, If you would, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself. Yes, uh, my name is Jeremy Thomas. I am the lead editor and uh, contributor, reporter, critic, etc. for 411mania.com, which is a pop culture news site. Um, I am also a cast member for Final Show Films on various actual plays and the like, and generally a film of comic book wrestling, horror, name-it-all geek. So around the lines of, like, say, if I had to give it a name, pop culture. Yes, pop culture. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. just off the top of my head. You feel free to run with that for marketing. <laughs> Sounds uh, like a plan. Yeah. So you're bringing something to the table that you enjoy and are passionate about. Uh, could you talk a little bit about it in your own words? Yes. Uh, I am... I was... Last time, I, the, the first time, I touched on one of my favorite genres of, of film, which was film noir. And this time I'm touching on one of my other absolute favorites, which is horror. Um, this is The Night House. It is a film from 2021, uh, directed by David Bruckner, written by Ben Collins and Luke Piotrow- Piotrowski. That's a name. Uh, and starring Rebecca Hall, um, it was it was released last August in theaters, and this is this was legitimately on my list of the top twenty films of the year last year. In fact, I think it was in the top ten. Oof, um, it was. This was one of the films when 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 things opened back up uh, in terms of theaters. This was one of the absolute first films that I went out to a theater to see. Um, I saw this. I think it was Free Guy and Don't Breathe Two in the course of a day. Uh, uh, and two of sorry. those were two of those were good movies. Yeah, I was going to say sorry about that middle one. No, no, I like Free Guy. It was Don't Breathe Too. Oh. Uh, but fair enough. I know that's <laughs> not necessarily a movie for everyone. Uh, I, sh- I should also jump in to just clarify, for maybe the international audiences as well, uh, you mean horror. H-O-R-R-O-R. Yes, horror. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> just wanted to make that clear at the outset. <laughs> yes. Scary movies. Not sexy movies. Not sexy movies. Although some of them can be sexy too. 
Yeah. But then they usually get killed off for being too sexy by someone in a hockey mask, for example. I mean, usually, hey, maybe next time we'll ne- maybe next time on we'll talk about my one of my favorite subgenres of horror, which is the erotic thriller, because those are a thing. Oh boy. Uh, cool. So I've got my prepared list of questions that are designed mm-hmm. to delve a bit deeper into that enjoyment of yours, if that's all right. Absolutely. Question one. Imagine I was someone who has recently been awoken from a coma or resurrected from being frozen in ice or even an inanimate object gifted knowledge of modern times and sentience. So essentially, I know what media is, but I have never experienced any. How would you explain this without comparing it to something that I wouldn't know? Okay, so one thing that I do want to say before I start describing the movie for 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 listeners um there will be there is a content warning for this uh specifically mm-hmm. suicide uh grief and trauma yeah absolutely so fair. um but because that's basically what this movie about is about the night house is it is about a woman named beth uh she is a she is a high school teacher uh and her husband has just very recently died by suicide um, she is trying to deal with that, and she is living in the house built on a lake that that her husband Owen had built for them. He is he was an architect. Um, he had left a note which read specifically, "You are right. There is nothing. Nothing is after you." You're safe now. And that was the entirety of his note. Um, she explains to a friend at one point early in the film. I'm only describing first act stuff in, in, in this. Mm. Uh, so, so I'm not trying to be spoilery. That's sort of where I draw the line in terms of spoilers because that's all set up. Yeah. Um, she explains to a friend at one point uh, early in the film that she had previously years ago uh, died for four minutes in a car accident. And during that time she died before she was brought back, there had simply been nothing. So that's what she attributes. He's talking about, but she doesn't understand the rest of it. Not long after the, 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 this point, she starts to experience events in her home that suggest that her husband's presence is there. Uh, She starts to investigate and realizes that there's a lot about him that she didn't know. Um, She finds a photo of a woman who looks a lot like her on his phone. It's not her. She knows it's not her, but it looks a lot like her. She also finds that he had designed a house that it was essentially an exact reversal of their home. And at that point, she has to try and figure out exactly what's going on and essentially come to terms with everything that she learns. And that is, without getting into the spoilers of the rest of it, that is the basic premise of the movie. 
So, like, just sort of setting the pieces to give you that sort of trepidation, I guess? Exactly. And then from there, stuff happens. Um, it is a very much a movie that builds on tone and really well uses its environment. Um, it's definitely more of a dread kind of a movie. There are jump scares and there are very, very effective jump scares, but this is really more a, a more of a character focused horror film. And you're following Beth as she's trying to figure out what happened and shenanigans happen, scary things happen and, and she progresses from there. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, even already I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Uh, so, question two. Mm-hmm. Hypothetically, our positions are reversed, and I'm guesting on your immensely popular and award-winning podcast. I've just answered the previous question with your response verbatim. What stood out to you the most? So, I was thinking about this, and like a lot of that is pretty basic setup for a horror film and don't get me wrong you throw that basic setup at me and i'll be like yes i'll absolutely watch that movie um that's not exactly a major that's not exactly a hard get for me because i will literally watch anything but that is something that i would look forward to seeing um the thing that would really hook me in about all of that is and had designed a house that was an exact reversal of their home. Because if you're familiar, if, 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 if you are uh, uh, literate in horror and have experience with it, or if, you have, if you're interested in... <coughs> if you're interested in mystical knowledge and, and the occult and... Things like that. The idea of a mirror reflection of something is very significant. And immediately that makes me want to go, okay, what's that? What's that hook? I want to know more. Mm. That's what that would that would definitely be the thing that would personally drive me in. Um because everything else sounds good and I, I'm absolutely there for all of that. But if you can take a horror film, uh, which, which let's be honest, in a lot of cases, uh, a haunted house movie, they, they all sort of separate into genres on haunted house or slasher or uh, demonic possession, whatever the case may be. Um, th- there are definitely tropes that fit within there and, and sort of formulaic things that all of those kind of fit in. It's the reverse house thing that's really the, the 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 unique hook that appeals to me. Yeah, and it's like I I I would rate horror as a genre as basically if you had a slasher with a story, mm-hmm. because that tends to be the the elements that get left out. It's just like oh yeah, you're you're in it for the gore, you're in it for the flashy substance, but there's no actual connective tissue realistically. Right, right, but, yeah. Like, obviously, there are reasons why camp counselors have to die and this, that, and the mm-hmm. other. Yeah, but yeah, it's just like okay, well, 
I don't care about the talky bits. Just get to someone's head getting cut, cut off. Yep, which that's unfortunate. Like, don't get me wrong. I love my Friday the Thirteenth movies. I love my uh, I love my Halloween movies as off the rails as they get sometimes. Um, but if you want to get me, if you really want to get me with a horror movie, you put in a compelling story. You do something like, and there were people that would argue whether this is a compelling story or not. You get me a fear street mm. or you get me a, um, you know, it's keeping within the slasher as an example. You get me a, uh, uh, a happy death day or something like that. Where it's not just waiting to get to 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 the next creative kill, and those kills are great, and I I will absolutely sit down and watch all of those movies, uh, and 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 enjoy them if they're well done. But it's the story aspect that's really gonna hook me in. Is okay, this is something where if I'm in a particular mood, this is what I want to watch, mm. and those are the things that I remember. Whereas, like, as a counterbalance, for example, I I am still, uh, weirdly, relatively fresh to movies, let mm-hmm. alone any specific genre or in-depth uh, terminology. Right. So, the, the ex- like, the experience of having a story isn't something I'm fully used to. That is fair. So, I'm, di- I'm dipping my toes in via the slashes. Because mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I love all the gore and the big spots. Oh, I, for sure. Yeah, I I love seeing the big spot monkeys. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and like I yeah. said, I I I I I adore me some some good solid slasher films. Um, the the the. I was just thinking because I had just been listening to catching up on on other podcast stuff, and one of my favorites uh, just covered uh, uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. Uh, Jason Lives, which is the meta one. Um, and going through it, just I forgot how much I enjoyed that movie. And really, it's basically just getting from one spot to the other. Um, yeah. Like, those are great. Don't get me wrong. But it's like, if you looked at the, the highlight reel for, like, Hellraiser, for example, uh-huh. it's going to be a lot shorter than the plot synopsis video that someone drops on YouTube. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. But yeah, it's, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how, we'll see how this treats me. Yeah, no, I think this is, there are tonal elements in this that I really, really love. Um, there, well, there's a lot about I love, which I know we'll get into. Hmm. Um, but this hits in now now that we're out of the you're not familiar with media question yeah this hits in a particular sort of um uh subgenre of horror that has been very popular over the last 10 years that there's not really a cohesive name for it i call it grief horror um okay Things like and and I these may not be movies or it's a lot of independent films. Um, things like Hereditary, uh, The Babadook, um, Black Coat's Daughter, Relic, uh, uh, Dark and the Wicked, things like that, where 
they really get into just the concept of I th- I call it grief horror because it's more than just grief. It's the processing of trauma. Um, but if you call something trauma horror, then you have two problems. A, some people are going to think you said trauma horror, which is a very different thing. Um, <laughs> and two, trauma sounds like violence and gore when you're associating with, with horror. See, just in my mind, it's more, it's closer to it like a torture than an attack. Right. It's, trauma implies slow to me. These are, these do tend to be a little bit slower of movies, yes. No, I mean, even without being set in a movie. Oh, yes, no, like prolonged. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So saying something is trauma horror uh, has... Like it evokes a particular imagery and feel that probably isn't mm-hmm. necessarily representative. No, for sure, absolutely. I think of this as an era where it, horror and film in general really touches on it reflects society as it's moving along, right? So yeah. horror has always been really good at doing that. Um, and let's be honest, over the last uh, few years in particular, but probably over the last 10, 12 years or so, um, you have people who are coming of age and who are um, finding their voice, who are processing trauma uh, from their lives in ways that it didn't used to be talked about. Yeah. Like the generation, but my generation too, but the generation before me didn't talk about their issues. You know, the idea of, 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 of talking about the, the things that happened, you just didn't happen. Um, now that we, now that we, that we're, there's a generation that's talking about it a lot more you're finding that reflected in media a lot more. And this sort of subgenre really leans into that, which makes it cathartic in a lot of ways and really relatable in a lot of ways, but also makes it depressing in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, because um, like, oh, I can relate, oh no. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is, a, this is a genre that I adore, because it is open in a way that a lot of a lot of past generations of film are not, but it's also not one that I can watch all the time, because like this is the first time that I watched this movie when I was th- this week when I was preparing to come on here. This is the first time I watched it since I saw it in theaters, mm. um, and it. I liked it as much, if not more, than when I first saw it. But I also realized this is probably, we'll talk about this later, but the, the, I was perfectly happy having it seen it. Like a one and about nine. Yeah, about nine months ago and then now. And I mean, obviously, I'm not a I'm not an expert in the the terminology or any of the in depth stuff as I've mentioned. But 
it mm-hmm. seems like horror as a genre has always been representative of what society is holding back. Very much so. So if you um, take your, your classic zombie movies, for example, it's just they're always slow zombies to attack because it's representative of inevitability. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Whereas, whereas these days they they are the more fast-running zombies because inevitability isn't as a bigger worry anymore. Mm-hmm. As if we're honest to how many people are making it to the end of their natural lives these days. That is very true. Uh, yeah, no, there's a lot of that. And you look at like, you know, I could, I, I could literally talk for hours about, about the nature of horror and that, and, and this kind of thing. But you look at, I think the classic example, because it's a film that's been remade in so many different eras is the invasion of the body snatchers. And you look at in the, the, uh, and that whole, that whole style of film in the fifties, that was very much about the paranoia of, of, uh, on one hand, it played to certain people as paranoia of communism and, and, and that sort of thing, but also being afraid of, um, being scared of not fitting in. And then you move up into the 1970s. It's very much about the Cold War and the the all of the political aspects of that. And then you move again up to, I think, the next... I mean, it's been retold again a couple of times, but yeah. the next one that off the top of my head that I can think of is The Invasion, which, while not a good film in and of itself, is still that, the, that same story and is very much about the post 911 uh a paranoia of um uh, war on terror and all of that stuff and i could talk about the difference between why the original halloween works the way that it does um and why the rob zombie film while it's not popular works for the people that it works for the way that it does. Uh, and that's also, in fact, you can follow that film and film through film and see how it variously tracks the sort of the, the, the public consciousness about things and how it's preying on, not preying on, but it, it, it's, it's exposing, it's talking about the fears and what scared people from 1974 to 19, the 1980s into the 1990s, uh, the, the 2000s. And then now like these franchises that last a long time, you can see a lot of that stuff in there. And it's really, this is why I love talking about horror (laughs) and, 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 and watching horror too. And this is also partly why I upgraded you to Arch Nemesis because <laughs> I, I like, in, with all due respect, I love hearing you talk about like a passion and just listening and absorbing. It just it makes me feel like I'm the dumbest piece of shit. <laughs> You're is not. It, oh yeah, but... I, I know, but still, it's that's the. It's like, wow, that is very in depth. I wish I knew half of those words. Oh, fair enough. I mean. <laughs> This is just 
this is my life pretty much, which that's probably concerning in and of itself, but like I love looking at media and talking about media and absorbing it and learning from it um, and what it says about people. Like I feel like in a lot of ways uh, media, well, you know, we laugh about it and people talk about how it's silly. Like media is incredibly important to how we see ourselves, how we see other people and the lens through which we view the world. Uh, it's yeah. just absolutely essential. Like even, even a bad film or TV show or book or what have you, unless it's explicitly like a cash grab, right? it, it has something to say. Well, and absolutely, and even like even explicit crash grab, ah, yeah, explicit cash grabs usually have something to say. Like, let's be honest, every movie is made. Every movie is at its core made to make money. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Some of them are more blatant. Like, um, let's say the Fantasy Island remake. Or, <laughs> you know, stuff like, yeah, there are absolutely explicit cash grabs. But yes, even those, I think, have a lot to say about the culture that they're made in. Um, I, I was going to go a little bit more controversial and say some of the recent Marvel Cinematic Universe offerings. I mean, I could see some of that. I I see a lot of value in those in terms of particularly the phase four stuff in terms of it's a weird transition period for Marvel because they are dealing with post infinity war, um, let down. Yeah. Where, where they had a plan or they had a plan. And I think they do have a plan now. I think what we're seeing is the beginning building of a plan where, okay, I'm not going to say that Black Widow was one of my favorite my favorite Marvel movies. It wasn't. I still liked it. But that movie, A, that's the one that I don't think is actively building towards anything except for building Yelena. I think that's the only reason that that movie exists at the point that it exists within, within the film chronology. And also because they couldn't get a Black movie widow movie made because misogyny but i think that movie has a lot to say i don't think it says it as well as some other films mm. but it presents it in a way that more people saw it about human trafficking about um the importance of of globalism and like there's a lot wrapped up in that by the same token, I think Shang-Chi has a lot to say a lot about how Americans view Eastern culture. Um, mm. And I think that movie and Eternals, well, again, Eternals is not one of my favorite. I adore it for reasons, but it's not one of my favorites because I think that it it's so different. Um those are the Shang-Chi and, and Eternals are the movies where they're showing us they're, they're starting to look, we've already got the, the, the cis white male. 
Mm. Um, we want to start taking these wild swings story-wise and also represent, show people outside of that that there's a world there for them. And I know that's woke or whatever that fucking bullshit is. Um, Send complaints to your nearest alligator. Exactly. Um, But that is just as an important a part of what what we're seeing in the world. And like I said, the lens that we look at, we see the world through as anything else. Um, I would say, if you ask me about Marvel, we're so off base at this point. (laughs) But you ask me about... That's not the appeal. Yeah, for sure. You ask me about Marvel cash grabs, and I'm going to start talking about um, uh, Incredible Hulk, uh, Thor, The Dark World. I know you and I have very different opinions Mm, about about the Thor franchise. Um, (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say... I know, I know, um, but I think though I think that era, I think the post immediate, like first films era, the Iron Man, Thor, Captain Marvel, the post that era was the point where Marvel didn't really know what they were doing, because Iron Man two, it's clear that they don't really know what they're doing. You look at that in the greater scheme of things, and it's two things. It's A, them desperately trying to set up for Avengers, and them not knowing what to do beyond that. So let's throw in uh, Ivan Vanko and Justin Hammer. Like, I was just thinking, it's more like, I would love, for a multitude of reasons, to see what the world would have been without the pandemic. Because I... And oh my positive, god! Yeah. They've had to basically destroy plan after plan to get to what we're currently seeing. So a lot of it's been delayed, but been mostly, hey, we can delay stuff. But if you look at, there are absolutely some interesting things in there because, you know, when it comes to the films, they can just push the push their whole slot of films back. Their the Disney Plus shows were originally supposed to release in a very different order. Mm. I and those also, play into the universe. I also saw one specific rumor that it astounds me, and I have no idea what that would mean for everything concerning the latest two films. Okay. So I guess spoilers for Spider-Man No Way Home and Doctor Strange uh, Multiverse right. of Madness. I don't know how true it is or not, obviously. Okay. But I, I did hear rumors that Spider-Man's whole deal was supposed to be because of America Chavez. I don't know that that is the case because those two films were being written independently of each other. What I can say is that Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness was originally going to come out before Spider-Man No Way Home. That may be where that speculation comes from. I don't know if they were necessarily, if America was going to factor in. That would be interesting if it was. And I, I I can't say for sure that's not the case. And that would have, that would have been really interesting to be clear. I really like, I re I, I adore no way home. 
And I only recently watched Multiverse of Madness because it only just came out. Yeah. But I very much like that. And I'm still, I'm liking it more as I think more about it. Um, yeah, but it's just like, what What would the shape of the world look like? if It would be so different for so many reasons. And I think a big part of why it was different is just the delay because the original plan, all of these movies would have come out very soon after infinity war came out like if you think it, it seems like it seems like eons ago but in uh or not infinity war endgame endgame came out in in uh what was it uh uh late two thousand late summer 2019 i feel like and then black widow was originally supposed to come out in april the next year like they were not planning to take a long time. Mm. Um, I was thinking it about it at this point when I with with Multiverse of Madness, I was looking at it. Um, they were if, if the films had come out as released on schedule, we would almost be into Phase Five, if not into Phase Five at this point. And we're just early in, or we're maybe about midway through phase two or phase four. Phase two. Oh boy. Yeah, phase two. No, there's still a long way. No. Um, but yeah. Yeah, just the world that almost was. Yeah, absolutely. Fascinating. Yep. Uh, anyway, uh, back anyway, to what, back, whatever the hell back this to is. The night house. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, question three. Yes. We can tell that this is a subject that you care about. Yeah, a little bit. What got you to give it a chance in the first place? So, obviously, I am a reporter. I'm a critic. So, it's my job to be aware of this kind of stuff. Um, it's really rare that a, a, a film hits theaters that I've never heard of. Um it's more common with independent films, which this was released by Fox Searchlight, which is their independent, quote unquote, independent studio, sort of like focus features or those kinds of those kinds of. Yeah, it's uh, the, the branch facility. Yeah, their art house wing, basically. Hmm. Um, I had heard some buzz about this film coming out of Sundance Film Festival in 2020, which is January 2020. Sundance happens January every year. Um, and and some pretty good things. And then that was January 2020. Everything went boom. Mm-hmm. Um, and the film industry went radio silent for, for, for a long period of time. Theaters are closed. You can't put anything out. Um, they were trying to trickle out what they could through, and that was again, that's a whole nother discussion that could take another half hour. But regardless, the point is, Nighthouse kind of went under the radar at that point. So we flash forward to last summer, and I was covering Fantasia Film Festival virtually. Uh, Fantasia is a genre film festival that takes place in Montreal. It's basically the biggest genre film fester. And when I say genre film, uh, for people who aren't aware, I'm talking about basically horror, science fiction, 
um, fantasy to some degree. Most people associate genre with with horror, but it also in, includes things like film noir and uh, most comic book films are considered genre films, but Fantasia doesn't really touch on that. Those kinds of things. This is the biggest one of those in North America. And so Nighthouse was playing through Fantasia, but I wasn't able to see it because things had started to open up a bit. It was an in-person screen. And as much as I would like to, I was not flying from Portland to Montreal to see like three movies that I couldn't see virtually. Just wasn't happening. I mean, what, that's like 20 minutes. Yeah, oh, sure, yeah. Um, but in passport and blah, blah, blah. Like, that was just not happening. But the point is, I had heard so many positive reactions. I, I, I've always been a big fan of Rebecca Hall, who, for people who aren't familiar with her, she is the thing that you would probably most know her from is Iron Man 3. She was Maya in it. Um, she is also, she's done a bunch of other films. Um, frustratingly, there's not anything that that's immediately hitting my mind, but, um, I'm a big fan of her work. And so that film ended up opening Fantasia took place in late January to early August Fantasia, uh, that film opened in the U S in late August. So I immediately went out to see it. I was absolutely blown away by it. Unfortunately, it did not. It did not exactly light up the box office. Yeah. To to the shock of the world. After months of isolation. When theaters finally opened up, people decided that they didn't want to rush out to see a movie about suicide and grief. Fortunately, this movie, like like independent horror typically does, indie horror doesn't make its money in theaters. It it, it might if it if it becomes really buzzy, but it generally makes its money on home viewing on what's called ancillary uh, streaming, d- digital purchase, things like that, home video. That sort of this unfortunately has discovered sort of a life there. Um, yeah, it, it is a bit of a tall ask, just off the premise. It really is, and even like even some of the biggest films that sort of hit that bleak area, like Bleak. It is it is generally well known. Bleak does not equal good box office. Um, there is a a a way that audience reaction is judged. That's called in the U.S. specifically. That's called Cinema Score. Um, a lot of people, a lot of you hear this reference when you're talking about movies a lot. The Cinema Score was an A plus or a B minus or something like that. Uh, most movies tend to score. Basically, what they do is the Friday night that a movie opens, this company goes around to theaters in major markets and gets people coming out and say. Well, what did you think of the movie? What rating, what grade would you give the movie? Usually they're going to trend positive. So a B plus, B, B plus is typically pretty normal. 
If you're going below that, audience reaction is not considered to be great. Almost every, there have only been in the history of doing this, I think 24 Fs of every movie that's been scored. They don't, they, they only score wide releases, but only 24. Almost every single one of them. Not to say that this is the only reason they are. Some of them are just bad movies, but almost every single one of them has a downer ending. Because you don't want to, that's not a crowd pleaser. And yeah, so you, you send the, the crowd home happy and they point at the sign. Everyone loves it, that. Exactly. Um, and that, and then if you're lucky, it doesn't catch fire. Um, yeah, but <laughs> that's a wrestling reference. Hmm. Um, but on this uh, show, <laughs> on this show, hell you say, but so generally a downer, tends to result in a very short lifespan at the box office. It's what happened here. I think it did like two and a half million dollars its opening weekend, which is not great. For a, It's a fairly low budget film. and you, Well, it is gorgeous and very well shot and the production design is amazing. It's clear it's a, it's a low budget film. Um, so it probably it might have been profitable but probably not. It probably didn't make a profit until it hit home video. Which is fine because that's what home video is for. Yeah. And yeah, it's just... I think it, the ratings is also weird because it's the like the exact what is the last thing you remember, just a flash moment. Yeah, the whole thing. I don't love cinema score. I really don't. It's... It tends to reward because, first of all, it's only surveying the people who went opening night. So those people are going to be if you went to go see a movie the night it opened, you're predisposed to like that movie, right? Yeah. It's you're going to you're not go you're not going to be somebody who doesn't like horror movies going to see a horror movie uh, unless you um, have a, a different reason to be there. Uh, unless you have a different like reason to be, be there. Yes, for sure. Um, so that's problematic in and of itself. And then just, yeah, just asking somebody and they ask other questions. They do market research for other, for companies. Um, and in terms of that stuff. And there is, if you want to pay ridiculous amounts of money, you can dig into uh, some of the statistics of the answers. But most people, when they hear cinema score, they're only hearing a a minus, C plus, B, etc. That's not. Mm. I hate that idea of how a movie is getting done. I don't like Rotten Tomatoes percentages. Yeah, but it's an industry standard, and you understand why it's the way. I don't like it because it's not well. It's not well understood. And like that it also counts out a lot of the people for like, maybe it's a more cerebral movie where it's just like, I need to take a moment to decompress. have a Absolutely. Think, get everything in order. Did I actually like it when I think about it and I hate it or vice versa? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cinema score is made for blockbusters and, and, and comedies and shit like that. 
I, I say shit in the very neutral sense because I love blockbusters and I love comedies. I mean, that's why they keep getting made because people like yep. them. Absolutely. Not comedy so much. Comedies are on the on the ropes for the last several years, but bring back the westerns. I mean, I wouldn't complain. <laughs> I'm not a huge western guy, but the, it's been long enough. I think they can come up with some fresh ideas. Uh, question four. Yes. Uh, for some people, a sense of community and like mindedness are integral to their enjoyment of something. So to your knowledge, is there a community around the Nighthouse that you're aware of? And if so, what are they like? So not specifically the Nighthouse, but I think when I think of communities around the Nighthouse, I think of the horror community in general. And in a lot of places, the horror community is a very tight-knit community. Um, it's definitely one that self-identifies more than like, you don't think of like the action community or the comedy community. You think of like maybe the Marvel community or DC Mm. community, those poor Mm. bastards. (laughs) Um, but I love DC. I love some DC movies. Um, but the the horror community, specifically in the places where this stuff tends to get discussed, cesspools that they are of Twitter and Facebook and social media in general, TikTok, Reddit, uh, um, the horror community tends to be much tighter knit because I think it's a much more malign genre. And so you will see... And I think it's one of the more inclusive. Yes, there are there there are horrible people in it, just like there's horrible people in the critical role community or wherever the case may be. Overall, I think the horror community, and you can find people, you can find horror communities that are incredibly inclusive and incredibly, um, uh, incredibly passionate, and and we'll talk about. And when horror movies come out they will talk about these movies as they're coming out. Uh, it's not always great conversation. I will refer people to when the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie came out this year. <laughs> um, yeah. That was a discussion that happened over a weekend. That was wow. Um, but but there is definitely, I think, a community there that talks. Um and specifically when you're talking about grief horror, there is, because of the this kind of genre that it is, it gets associated fairly or unfairly with A24. A24 is a studio that whose aesthetic is very strongly associated with these kinds of movies because they produced Hereditary. They produced Midsommar. They produced, um, I think, Dark and the Wicked uh, and and a bunch of these kinds of movies. They produced The Witch, which I think is more trauma horror than than grief horror, but still fits in within that same genre to the point that a lot of their other films that are not horror at all sort of get a bad they're unfairly forgotten about things like the green Knight and Zola and Ladybird 
and things like that. People don't think of those as A24 films. You think you hear A24 film and you think a slow moving independent film that 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 touches on really traumatic things. Um so there is a very specific community around that. And while some of those are very pretentious, they use a term I hate called elevate, which is elevated horror. Um, I hate that term. It implies that there is certain horror that is high art and the rest of it is just eh. Um, like a garbage basement tier. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, uh, uh, the witch is saying things. And it's about something important, not like Fear Street or Halloween Kills. Now, I have my issues with Halloween Kills, but that's not the point. Like um, the one back to the hood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, all of these other films, which are great or not, but they are entertaining to a lot of people. And I hate that they denigrate it. If, it, if you get around people like that, who still like this kind of horror, but reject that pretentious bullshit mindset. Those are my favorite kind of people to talk about media with because they, they're, they generally, they love this kind of stuff. Um, and we are talking about something that is a way that we are all relating and opening up ourselves. So there is a very strong community. It's just a weird community that involves a lot of different Venn diagrams coming together. Yeah, it's like the the evolution of being the other than they've exactly. had to put up, oh, God, put up yes. the walls for. Like, I am, when it comes to the horror community, you know, I'm in the queer horror community. I'm in the the uh pro slasher horror community i'm in the indie film horror community i'm there are all these different communities that sort of all come together and everybody who loves horror i think generally finds those points where the different communities overlaps and finds their people in those and realistic that's all anyone wants out of life just to really find yet to find your people. Absolutely. So at this point, we'll take a quick break from the questions and go to everyone's favorite part of the show, a word from the sponsors. Oot. Thank you, sponsors. That was, that was great. I mean, have you done something with your hair recently? Just something very good about that. Hmm. Absolutely. Buy five of them unless it's the army. Heck, buy six. Yeah. Uh, speaking of five, question five. Yep. There are many aspects of media that resonate differently with different people. What was your favorite part? So I try to think about this and there's a lot about this movie that I absolutely love. I am going to save part of it because I know there's another question coming up and I'm going to focus on a specific scene because I think that this scene it's early in the film again um, this scene in caps this was the moment that I fell in love with this movie so Beth 
she is, like I said, she's a high school teacher and she is trying to process the, the, this, this horrific loss that she suffered, that she doesn't understand why it happened. And she is at the end of her school year. Um, and so she is in her classroom and she is looking up, I, she's looking up different things online. Um, and I can't, at this moment, I don't remember what it is that she's looking up and she goes into this sort of daydreaming. You're not quite sure. Um, and somebody calls out to her and she comes to, and she looks at her, she looks at her, her laptop and it is now she has been while she was unconscious she was researching guns she very quickly snaps it shut looks up it is this it is the mother of one of her students and her the the woman wants to know her son got a c in class and she wants to talk about that so beth this is the last thing that she should possibly be have to deal with this at, at this point, right? Um, and she starts up trying to sort of explain, explain why. And there's a moment where she just sort of a, 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 a switch flips, a switch flips in her. And she just wants to, she just wants to sort of make this person go away see to her needs as as best as possible but 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 make this person goes away and she goes all right well he missed this uh, he missed this uh this this makeup assignment because i wasn't here on that particular day let's go ahead and take him at, take the not count that so that'll give him a b and the mother tries to say, well, that's not what I'm, I, I, I'm here about. And Beth sort of puts the woman in her place very quickly. And it is a, it is a moment of superlative acting from Rebecca Hall, where you instantly, whether you have been in that situation or not, if you did not understand what, what, what she had gone through, you would say she was an unlikable character. But because you understand, it's a stand up and cheer moment. And you understand this woman. You understand you, you understand why she's doing what she's doing and you are in her corner in that moment in that sort of fist pumping way um and at that moment you are just at whatever this woman is whatever this woman is in for and whatever this woman discovers in the events that are to follow i am with her for the ride like and ride or die. Exactly. 100%. Um, it is a moment that I remember one of the first time that I saw it, 
it left me speechless. And the second time that I watched it, in the best possible way, the second time I watched it, I knew it was coming. And this is not a film where there are a lot of big, like, a, a grin moments. Knowing what was coming, I found myself smiling, just waiting for this. Um, so that is my single favorite part of the movie. As a whole, I really enjoy how the movie, how, well, it's touching on something that I have never experienced, uh, fortunately, uh, in this specific way. It is able to relate so very vividly what it's what what's going on and make us empathize with her and make us want to be part of her story um that even it's not a perfect movie by any stretch there are a couple things that i think it it, it sort of stumbles on late in the film but you're in, you are able to ignore those bits um the only other thing i want to touch on as far as as far as favorite parts the production design is gorgeous and when you are done watching this i want you to let me know because there is a there is a twitter thread that i want to give you where if i gave it to you beforehand it would be spoilery mm. but it shows how they come up with some of these effects that happen that are there's some digital work in there as well, but it's largely practical. Uh, you, you love to hear that. It's so good. It is so good. Um, practical effects. Uh, it unfortunately seems to be a bit of a dying art, but when it's done right. It's making a comeback, really. I think the more we get into digital stuff, that practical is always going to be there. Um and there are a lot of people, there are a lot more films that I've heard of in the past maybe five years that have been like, no, we wanted to do as much practical work as possible um, because they've realized, sure, digital CGI is great for when you have $200 million to spend. Even then, mm. 30 years from now, I love the Marvel films. 30 years from now, we're going to look at that stuff as quaint. Whether it holds up like, like say, Jurassic Park or some of the better stuff in the Star Wars films, we'll see. But I think it'll still be enjoyable. But it's going to be dated. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking of another movie I watched recently, Critters 2. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that is largely practical. It yes, is not great, <laughs> but it no, works. but it, it works because it's practical and it feels visceral. Like one of the th great things about eighties horror is it is the goopy decade for horror in a lot of ways. Yeah, and that goopy stuff doesn't work when it's CG. CG blood is the worst thing in the world. I don't know. I've heard bad things about hyper-realistic blood coming out of your computer screen. I mean, okay, fair. But in terms of effects work. Yeah. 
CG blood just is, it's the worst. It takes you, I will take CG anything over CG blood. But the more practical, the better. And the way that they stuff made this stuff work in terms of the production design of the house is brilliant. Absolutely amazing. Uh, so question six, following on from the previous question, if we can remember what that was. <laughs> I uh, do. Yeah. What do you think will appeal most to the general public? So in terms of getting somebody in, while this is a very mood heavy film, it's jump. It, it has its jump scares. I like jump scares when they are instituted effectively. I think jump scares have a bad rap because there are ones that there are films that misuse the jump scare or overuse it when they're done. Well, they're done really, really well. And this movie uses them. Well, there was when I was watching it, uh, um, uh, earlier this week, there were two jump scares in particular that, got me one because it's a jump scare that keeps going it's a sudden loud thing that happens and the loud part keeps going and that was particularly effective and then there was one that literally made me say oh jesus fucking christ i don't know if it was loud enough for my roommates to hear because I was in my office and the door was closed. Um, but I have to imagine it was. I think those will help. Those will appeal. And I think there is a relatability to the overarching, the overarching message in terms of thematically touching on the idea of Everybody has experienced trauma. Everybody has experienced grief. Maybe not this particular kind of grief. But the theme of the movie is really about um, dealing with grief and not... I'm trying to figure out a way to say this without being spoilery. Dealing with grief in a way that is not trite and is not rap is not. This is no hate against Frozen, but it's not just let it go. Because I think that is a very well intentioned message that is utterly fucking useless in real life. Um, there are things that letting it go are very important about, but when it comes to the things that you've experienced in life, it's not as easy as just saying, I recognize that this stuff has a hold on me and I'm not going to let it do so anymore. This is a film that is not interested in just doing that. And I think there's a lot of relatability in how that works. And I feel like the people have really taken onto this film are people who recognize that and find a relatability in that message and those themes. 
Um, so I think that this it's you bring them in, you bring them to the door with the jump scares and maybe Rebecca Hall, if you know who she is and the cool supernatural ghosty kind of aspects. And then you keep hold of them through those themes. Yeah. You sink the hooks right into their soft, supple flesh. Exactly. Interesting that you put it that way, because a little bit Mm. of trivia about this film. This originally, I don't think that this tells, this originally was at one point, the the writers, uh, uh, Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski, um, they had a spec script idea. They didn't fully flesh out the script, but they had a spec script idea for a Hellraiser movie. It didn't end up happening. And some of the ideas that they had in that very, very generic ideas, I don't think this is spoilery, um, ended up being incorporated into what they wrote for this for the night house. And there is a Hellraiser reboot coming later this year that will be released, at least in the US, on Hulu. It's directed by David Bruckner and written by Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski. Hmm. Those sound like familiar names. Uh-huh. Hmm. Wonder where I could have heard those maybe an hour ago. Right? Question seven. Yes. Say that I do end up enjoying this because of your excellent recommendation. What would be your number one follow-up? doesn't necessarily have to be a sequel or anything, but where would I turn to if I wanted more of the same? I'm going to give you two. Because I think that this movie tonally is a mix of these two movies. Uh, Story-wise, not, but tonally it's a mix of these. The first of them is Hereditary. I think this is a movie that most people will think of when they think of another film like this. Hereditary is a film written and directed by Ari Aster. Um, It stars Tony Collette, um, uh, Nat Wolfe, and Gabriel Byrne. And it is... It is the very slow, uh, a grief-related, slow burn, supernatural sort of family trauma movie. Um, that comes with its own content warning, which is the um, an exceedingly. I don't know how to say this without being spoilery. Um, there is a there is a death that is exceedingly upsetting, and it is a younger person. That's the only way I can describe that without being spoilery. Yeah, but I, I think that gets the point across. Yeah, yes, it does. Um, it is a fantastic movie, though. About it's not it's not what it's not a feel good movie, but a about uh, uh, trauma and and uh, uh, what it can, what hold grief can have on you, 
with supernatural elements and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, with some very disturbing imagery. The other one is also a horror film that came out within the last couple of years, but this hits on, I think, a little bit more of the mainstream aspect of, of Nighthouse, which is more mainstream than something like Hereditary, uh, uh, but not like uh, not like a Halloween movie or something like that. And the movie I'm referencing is uh, 2020's The Invisible Man. Okay. Because, again, uh, uh, Invisible Man is, I think, a very good movie um, that has some very good jump scares in it. Um, that is a, about a woman who is trying to process her trauma that was inflicted on her by the act of an intimate partner. Ah. At its core, that's what the night house is about. Now, there is no domestic trauma. There is there it there. Hmm. There is no. There is no explicit domestic violence instituted in this film. I think that's safe to say. There is violence in this film, but not that kind. So it's different from that. But I see a lot of the same themes in those two movies. And they are just slightly on the more commercial side and the more independent side. And they're both great movies. Cool. I'll add those to my ever-growing list. Cool. Everyone's got a list. Come on. Yes. <laughs> Just mine's a lot longer and a lot more common than people would think. <laughs> um, I mean, the thing about it is, the more the more you watch, the more you find other movies that you want to watch. Yeah. Or so you get. It's told- always ridiculously long. Yeah, or you get told, how on earth have you not seen this movie that everyone's seen? I can't believe you exist. You are you are pure evil. Oh, fuck those people. Like, don't get me wrong. I will say, and I have said, and it happens instinctually, I will go, oh, you haven't seen that? And occasionally I will accidentally say, how have you not seen that? But that's more in a, that's always any more of a, oh, I am so excited for you to be able to see that movie. I I think we actually we had a a conversation once where I brought up I haven't seen Fight Club. I've read it. Uh huh. And that brought and about a, a, an expression of shock. That was absolutely an expression of shock. Um, but again, it's generally in a oh you haven't seen that movie? Holy crap! And then the immediate thought in my head is I am so excited for you to be able to see, because that is a movie that I love and I would love to be able to watch that again for the first time. That's generally my mindset when I, when I, when I'm shocked that somebody hasn't seen something. Yeah. And also I'm able to say, Oh, that's a movie you haven't seen. Let me convince you to watch it. Hmm. Like through the medium of a podcast or something. Exactly. Uh, question eight. Sometimes our engagement with a piece of media comes from a position of relativity. Do you have a character that you related to? And if so, what drew you to them? 
Oh yes, oh yes, Beth, 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 Beth. Um, there are a couple other very good characters in this film. Um, Beth's best friend is a delightful character who I was very worried was going to go down some tropes that I was not happy with. And I was very pleasantly surprised. She's a great character, but Beth. So like anybody, I have certain tropes of characters that I like. And I love, and people who don't like this film have referenced her as such. I like people that people call unlikable characters. <laughs> if there is a character that is the, oh, I hate that character. There is no way you could possibly like that character. I'm My ears perk up and I go lemming. Uh, um and Beth fits that character and I understand why people don't think that she's unlikable she is throughout the entire film uh, Rebecca Hall plays her with this when I walked away from the movie the first time the main memory I had in my head of her was that she was angry she had this burning bitterness underneath the facade that poked through constantly. And I can understand how that would not play well for some people. There are certain scenes where she confronts people. She is a bitch. But it's understandable. The second time I watched it, and I already had a sense of this already, but you see the emotions that this character goes through. And you see this is a very emotionally raw and vulnerable woman for obvious reasons. Like anybody would be in that situation. Um, who is reacting who is quote-unquote unlikable because she is not reacting in the way that we want people who are processing grief to react. We want them to be, oh, it's okay, or thank you very much. I appreciate that you are expressing your, your, your condolences to me. Um, we want that, especially if it's a woman. Yeah, that it's sort of all that that entails. Yeah, exactly. We want that kind of. Beth is not interested in that. She is like the scene that I mentioned. That it's my absolute favorite scene. She is not interested in being the appropriate person. She is struggling to deal with her grief, and she is desperate for answers as to why this happened and she does not give a fuck if she upsets someone if her grief is not appropriate for what if, if her grief makes someone uncomfortable if the way that she is emoting in that particular minute makes someone uh, uncomfortable and we need more of people like that 
in my mind. Um, it makes her an interesting character. It, if I was in a scene with, if I was, you know, talking to her in real life, I would be very uncomfortable and I would probably have, I, I would have difficulty dealing with her. But that makes her an interesting character and that makes her a character I can relate with and get behind. Um, and I can understand her and how she's driven to do the things that she does. And that's because of Rebecca Hall's performance, which is... I understand that horror is not a beloved genre when it comes to quote-unquote award season. But I was legitimately hoping, and even knowing it was never going to happen, legitimately disappointed when she did not get nominated for awards for that movie. Because it's that good of a performance. Which is, knowing your background, pretty high praise. There, yeah, like there are there. There's not. Like I said, I get, I get that people are not going to nominate actors for horror stuff because, like, you're never going to see someone playing a Marvel character get nominated for an Oscar. It's just not going to happen. It's stupid, but it's the way that it is. Um. So when I think somebody legitimately should, people should be looking past their bias. Of, of, the Academy should be looking past their biases to, to, to honor this stuff. That's like, it was legitimately one of my favorite performances of the year, bar none. And that made her, that was a character. There's no reason for a sequel. And I hope they never do a sequel, but if they did a sequel, I would be excited to see Beth again. Cool. I mean, yeah, as, a, as I've said a few times, I, my excitement is only building more to watch this. I hope I don't push it too much, but fair enough. Uh, in question nine, a lot of these types of interviews rely on the question of what would you bring with you to a deserted island in order to get to know a person? But that's not this show. What we ask instead is to picture this scenario. You're on a deserted island with no hope of rescue. Food, water, shelter, and all that you need have been taken care of so that you won't succumb before your natural time. Mm -hmm. You've also been provided with a single piece of media and the means to engage with it, and for you, it is the nighthouse. How frequently do you utilize it, and how long would it take for you to be sick of it? This is not a movie I can watch regularly. Um, like I said, this is a this week. Uh, in May, tw mid May, 2022 was the first time that I'd seen it since it, since it hit theaters in August of last year. Um, and I am perfectly fine with that. I would not watch this often. This is one of those movies. I think I would have a difficult time getting sick of because I'm I would be putting that much time in between it. Hmm. But also because I think I, I adore this movie so much that, and I think that it hits the right emotions for me 
that I think it will always be resonant. Um, and yeah. I don't mind watching something over and over and over and over again. I know that's another point where we where where we differ. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but that said, I don't watch a lot of stuff because I'm watching so much new stuff. As a rule, I don't tend to see stuff a lot uh, uh, on repeat. Um, but this one, I would say I might watch maybe once maybe twice a year even in that kind of a situation and i don't think i would get sick of it for a long long time yeah you you space it out to prevent burning out on it yep but that is all the questions that i had so thank you for indulging me absolutely hopefully love talking about this one hopefully that's given people a little bit of a deeper insight into your perspective hopefully so Now it's time for me to absolutely ruin the show by having a talk for myself for a bit and with a follow-up review from last episode's enemy of the show and self-proclaimed baby animal cutosity specialist, (laughs) uh, Helena and her recommendation of Planet Zoo. Is this something that you're familiar with? I was not familiar with it before I had listened to the episode. I mean, I'm familiar with the idea of, obviously, Sims. Um, Hmm. but while I was listening, I did look it up, uh, and it looks interesting. Um, and I really appreciated, uh, uh, Helena's take on it. So for the uninitiated, if for example, for some reason you're listening to this episode and not the last one, why would you? Uh, She did a much better job than I ever will. Go listen to the last one. She, She does a great job talking about it. Uh, Planet Zoo is a, a park simulator management game in, like, it's an evolution of the old Zoo Tycoon games, if anyone remembers those. Yep. Uh, you build your park, you put your animals in, you make your money, hopefully the animals don't die in the middle of it. Uh, but it, it does have, like, the evolution of, like, it ha- benefits from that uh, perspective of looking back. Mm-hmm. So it obviously it is more technologically advanced. So you might want to just double check that if you were interested, your computer could handle it. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that's an issue. <laughs> uh, but each animal has like it looks like they've done a ton of research into every single animal. Like not even the species as a whole, individual members of that oh, species, wow. because they all have their own like unique AI almost but yeah it's I cannot fathom the amount of work that went into it which is probably why it took so long to come out fair yeah but it it's definitely a game that benefits from guiding you through it rather than letting yourself just jump straight in mm-hmm. otherwise it doesn't quite hold up it's very good at letting the reins off without uh, meaning to. Okay. So I would say... Sorry. So I would say that I definitely will be playing more of it. I don't think I gave it a long enough of a fair shake in between episodes because I'm not used to recording back-to-back-to-back to back to back like this. Fair. 
Um, but yeah, it's a, a four out of five game at the moment with the chance to definitely improve. Very nice. If you, if you want to get an idea of some of the ridiculous uh, psychopathic behavior that you can get up to in, in the game, <laughs> because God, you can get away with a lot. Uh, I'm sure. There are a couple of uh, videos on YouTube by Let's Game It Out. Okay. Account, and it's like, oh, I built a, uh, built a zoo on the moon, and oops, I forgot about oxygen. Or, oh, Jesus. I, I turned my zoo into the Shawshank prison. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, my God. The, the guy that runs it is, must have some issues, and that's putting it lightly. <laughs> Right. But, dear God, it's funny. Right so on. I would definitely recommend that in conjunction with buying and playing the game. Very cool. So, before we wrap up this, the final ever episode of Check This Out, this recording session, and 18th time I've made that joke, uh, could you tell the audience where they might find you online and if you have anything to advertise? Yes, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at jthomas411mania. Uh, you can also find me, if you're interested in my movie opinions, uh, for some reason, after all this, uh, you could find me at 411mania.com. I try to get, I don't get to do as many movie reviews as I'd like. Uh, a lot of my stuff is is wrestling news and some wrestling, some r- wrestling reviews. Uh, but I do try to get, particularly horror, I try to get uh, the Shutter releases reviewed as much as possible. You can find me on Letterboxd at, at jthomas411mania. I think that's it. Um, that sounds right. Close enough uh, for government work. Can find you through Twitter for, anyway. Yep, at jthomas411mania on, on Letterboxd. Uh, that is pretty much my my handle on all the places, the tick the talks the instas the facebooks etc um geo cities you know i know my my i believe my geo cities username was raven feather still or no no fuzzy raven with a y and not an e yeah. um because i w- i was not around for one many at that point and also i was much younger than i am now um, so everyone look that up and just get back to us with all the embarrassing Oh, God, details. I hope that still doesn't exist. That doesn't still exist. Um, you can find me on Final Show Films actual plays, uh, several of them. Um, you can possibly, uh, I'm saying is this now so that I force myself to actually try to get it going at some point. You can possibly find me doing a horror podcast at some point in the near future um there is already a twitter account for it um uh which is dark prism pod um i just first, need to folks, get around it's, to doing it's a guarantee it. it is a guarantee um but uh yeah etc 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 and on that note, I've been L, And I've been Jeremy. And this has been Check This Out, a podcast of media positivity. And remember, all roads lead to glass houses. <laughs>